We live in a world that wants to acknowledge to some degree that marvelous grace of God. But who want to define that marvelous grace of God for the whole world in terms that suit them. Paul is mentioning, particularly there in verse 24 of the reading this morning, appreciate Nolan reading the scripture this morning. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It mentioned earlier it was to the Jews and it was to the Gentiles. Mankind basically understands their need for the grace of God, but have missed man's response to that grace. Just received a publication from a Brotherhood College in which, in their lectureship, have at least six keynote speakers that are not affiliated with the Lord's Church which they make no distinctions at all as to who they are or where they work. And they're on a lectureship that is promoting the Lord's church with the acceptance that they believe that they also have a right to speak. They're going to have classes in which they will discuss and have already affirmed in the past that they will have a class talking with transgender, homosexuals, and discuss them as being Christians and still able to live that particular lifestyle. This grace of God The gospel means good news. The understanding is that it is good news for all of mankind. And it's God who sets the condition for forgiveness of those sins that have been committed. There is a deep need that we have for the grace of God. The Bible describes man's true condition. Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not a human being on the face of this earth that has not sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
If that be true, is it up to man to set the conditions for pardon? Ones that they feel are appropriate? Or do we need to go to God? We're reminded in James chapter 2 and in verse 10 that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. We live in a religious world that wants to designate what they believe is important and to minimize what they believe is not important. In reading out of the Word of God that makes the statements. This statement of God is important, but this statement of God is not important. They believe as long as you keep many of the basics, you're okay in the eyes of God. The Scriptures remind us that if you stumble in one point, or you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. It's not up to us to decide how this grace, this marvelous, marvelous grace of God is going to be applied in our life. It's up to God. Romans 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is is eternal separation from God. How do we come out of that? It's not up to us to decide how. It's not up to us to decide what conditions we need to meet and which ones we can overlook or ignore. It's God who sets the condition within our life. Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 59... And in verse 2, and in those blanks, you're just going to have to put the scripture and not try to write them out. Uh, You won't have the time. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Listen to the rest of it. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have been hidden from his face so that he will not hear. God will not hear one who is repenting or says they are, but will not keep what God has said to do. God sets the conditions. Many believe that as long as they're praying to God, that God is hearing their prayer. Several times in the scriptures that is reminded to us that is not true. I will not hear your prayers. If your life is wrong, even if one claims to be that child of God, he will not hear those prayers. We have to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God. A little bit later in Isaiah chapter 64, And in verse 6, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. 
what we think are good deeds, what we think are good works, if not done in light of what God has said, they're like filthy rags before God. It's hard for those who claim that God is, for those who claim that God's Word is, or the Bible is God's Word, but then claim that they are right to, they have the right to interpret it the way that they want to. They take the parts that they like that sound good and ignore the parts that, re, that really hit the heart of the matter. Unless you crucify self and take up his cross daily and follow him, you do not have eternal life. What these passages really mean to us. First, we must all plead guilty. We must all plead guilty. We're all guilty of sin. Those that reach that age of accountability, we we have sinned and fall short of what God wants us to do. There are none who are a little bit better off than another. Well, at least I haven't committed the the sin of murder. I haven't committed the sin of drunkenness and gone out and killed somebody in a vehicle. I just do not tell the truth when I file my taxes or whatever else that we may come up with. Sin separates us from God. And to that we must all plead guilty. We can never demand entrance into heaven because we are somewhat Good enough. Basically, we're a good person. Cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. When a loved one had died. Basically, they were a good person. I've heard that a lot from mothers. Talking about wayward sons. I've seen him look at the casket of a son who'd lived a rebellious, absolute rebellious life and then turn and say, well, basically, he was a good son. That's our justification, is it not? What we look for in life. We can never say, well, I'm basically, I'm good. And therefore, I deserve to go to heaven. I have done everything exactly as the scriptures describe, but basically. Even the best that we have in us does not merit us right in God's sight. Righteous, our righteousness are like filthy rags before him. Second, what the passages mean to us Our sins have alienated us from God. Our sins have separated us from God. We must confess that we have sinned. 
regardless of a background in which we were brought up in. Regardless of our knowledge of God's Word, until we have obeyed as God has dictated us to obey, we are not right in the eyes of God. Our sins have separated us from God. We've lost that relationship we have with God as a child has with God. But those are choices that we make. And those are choices that will separate us from God. We can experience spiritual death. Or that separation from God, which if we leave it unchecked, will result in an eternal separation from God. Read Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The one who does the will of the Father. But he doesn't end there. He said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done? And they will enumerate many wonderful things that they had done. But he will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Those are sad, sad words. Jesus is talking to God's people of his day. He's talking to the cream of the crop of those of his day. And he's reminding them your righteousness are but filthy rags before God. You have not submitted yourself to God. You have not acknowledged that he is the creator. You have not acknowledged that he is the one who has given you an eternal soul that will never be destroyed. He's reminding you that he has given you a way of salvation. But many of them have chosen not to follow through. We need to hear his word. Third, as sinners, we cannot accomplish the removal of the guilt of our sins. As a sinner, you have to acknowledge there is no way that you can remove the guilt of the sin. It's this position of relationship and obligation. Mentioned at times if I was to come down out of the pulpit and slap Jerry across the face, I could ask for forgiveness. And the kind hearted soul that he is, he would grant that. But if I was to be able to get close to the governor of the state of Texas and do the same thing to him, a little different story. And if I was to get close to the President of the United States and do that to him, it would be a totally 
different story. Is any one of those three men more valuable than the other two? No. It's their position. I can repent of sin against my brothers, but how do I make it right in the eyes of God when I slapped him across the face by refusing to listen to what he has to say and doing what he's asked me to do? How do I make it right with him? Well, I can say, well, I'll live my life for God for the rest of my life. Well, that might, might, it does not take care of the first sin, but what do you do when you sin again? You've already committed yourself to take care of the first one. What do you do with the second one? How do you make it right with God? This is what sin does in the life of our God. However, obedience has nothing to do with earning or meriting salvation. Reminded, reminded in Titus 3, verses 3, 4, and 5. Salvation is by grace and not of works of righteousness, which we have done. Salvation is a grace that God has extended. But it is extended on His terms. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. But a gift, every gift, has conditions. There are no unconditional gifts that are offered. For a gift to be valuable, it has to be received by the one who is being offered to. God offers the gift of eternal life. But you have to be willing to take it. But you have to be willing to take it on whatever condition that he set. If there is no condition, what? And there is eternal life for human beings, and if there's no conditions, then does that mean all is saved? There's not a religious body out there that does not have some condition for salvation. Whatever it may be. Just call on the Lord, that's a condition. Just believe in your heart, that's a condition. And I always want to point out, well, what happens to an individual that hears, believes, repents, confesses, and is on his way to be baptized and dies of a heart attack? What happens to the person, if you believe, all you got to do is call on his name? What do you do with the person who's hearing what's being said? Is having an understanding of it, and just before he calls on the name of the Lord, he dies of a heart attack. There is, always has been, always will been, there is a line of separation between lost and saved. The question is who draws the line? Who decides who's lost and who decides who's saved? The only way I know is from the Word of God. And if it's from the Word of God, then I have to be willing to take all that God has said on that particular matter. It's easy to read one verse and ignore the other verses. 
But what am I going to do? God has provided the grace that we need through this son. Are we willing to accept that? Because God has loved us. He has given his son as a propitiation for our sins. Big word. All it means is God paid the price. God paid the price for your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why this gathering around this Lord's table, partaking of unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, is not just a ritual. It's not just a part of our worship to God. It is the reason that we come to worship. To remember. Remember what he's done for us. Be willing to make the change that is necessary. God has provided his son for us. Because he loved us. He's provided his son for us because that justifies the atonement for our sins. His blood paid that price. It's the only thing that could. You think about all the animal sacrifices that were made under the Jewish law. You just consider hundreds of years, thousands of years, How many animals were sacrificed? How many lives were lost to the animals? And yet it never, never justified the people. Sins were just rolled forward. It was only the blood of Christ that washed away the sins flowing backwards, flowing in our lives, and flowing for all of time that washes away sin in our lives. But that reception of God's grace, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, that Jesus is the author or the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Those that are obedient to him. And what? Obedient in what? Is a cafeteria style? I can pick and choose what I want to obey? It's all that he has said. Freedom from sin comes when one is, willi- is willing to obey from the heart. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. Are we willing to obey from the heart? When you do something from the heart, is it hard? When you do it from the heart, (coughs) 
there's a sick child that's sick all night, and the mother stays up to tend to that child, is that a hardship? Why do they do it? They do it because they love the child. Husbands have a tendency to nudge the wife and say the child's crying. Just saying we do that sometimes. But out of love, those who obey from the heart, it's not hard. When I understand what I'm obeying, it's not hard. I'm giving up a life that condemns me to eternity in hell. And I'm deciding I am going to accept a gift of eternal life of God in heaven. And when I see the love that God had for me in providing that means, and the love that he provides for me as I live this life, God's marvelous grace, how can I not love and desire to do what it is that God would have me to do? To give that obedience to him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We want to get in disputes about what does it mean to believe. As long as you believe, though, as long as I say, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved eternally. You haven't believed at all. Believe in Jesus. Believe what in Jesus? If you understand how God or how the Word of God defines belief, yes. Those who believe in Jesus will be saved. If you believe, you're going to obey. If you do not obey, you have not believed, regardless of what you say. Just call on the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? How can you call him Lord and refuse to obey him? Go preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I've heard people quote that and then in the next breath say, he who believes is saved and then they need to be baptized. They just read the verse. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And they are automatically in the mind. They've already switched it around. He who believes is saved, and then they need to be baptized. Not what God said. How can you call him Lord and not do what he says? How can you understand his name, Jesus? Jesus saves. What does he save? He saves us from our sins. How does he save us from our sins? By our obedience to him. Being buried in that watery grave of baptism for the remission of sins so that we may be raised to walk this new life in God, in Christ. How can we call him the Savior, the Redeemer? We call him Christ if we're not willing to obey him. If we're not willing to follow him. I know who you are, but I still want to live my own life. Is that obedience to God? I read your word, but I want to read it the way I want to read it. I'll leave out what I do not like to read. Is that obedience to God? That marvelous grace has been extended. 
Thus we make that confession. What confession? That Jesus is Lord. What is that? That is, what is a confession? In the legal sense, what is a confession? If somebody's confessing to a crime that they've committed, what are they saying? I am the one who did that crime. I'm acknowledging, I'm agreeing with the statement that I did that crime. If I'm going to confess Jesus as Lord, what am I doing? I am going to agree that the statement that Jesus, who is the Son of God, who died on the cross for my sins, is the Lord of all. He is a master of all. I'm agreeing to that. If I'm agreeing that Jesus is the master of all, how can I say that and not do what he's asked us to do? We have this marvelous, marvelous grace of God that Paul says needs to be preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles that they may have that understanding of what God has before them. Again, we cannot earn or merit salvation. Are we willing to do what he's asked us to do? God has ordained through faith and repentance, ending with baptism into Christ, that we might receive that wonderful grace of God. If that's God's will, why do people not receive it? Maybe they do not understand the need for grace of God. How many think they're just good enough? They're just doing the best that they can. They're, they're okay. I've heard individuals say, well, I just, I'm living a good life. I'm doing the best I can. I'll just take my chances with God. I have not thought that one through. What is involved in that? Maybe some are not aware of the provision of grace or think that they are too sinful to receive the grace of God. I've done so many bad things, there's no way God can forgive me. Underestimated the love of God and the patience of God, that God desires all to be saved and has provided Jesus as a ransom for all. Or some have not been taught the proper reception of God's grace. I want to follow God. I need to listen to God. God has so loved me that he gave me his word. And through his word that he has given to me, I can learn what it is that he wants me to do. He says, here is your history. Here's how you, down through the begin from the beginning of time, have not listened to what I've asked you to do. But I'm still working with you. I want you to be saved. The question will always be, will you?
Will you accept that marvelous, marvelous grace of God through the acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the confession of his name, the repenting of sins that separate you from God or will and can to separate you eternally. Confess him, obey him in baptism for the remission or the forgiveness of those sins. Do not understand. Some do not. That marvelous grace there. Once we have been baptized for the remission of our sins, there are sins and their iniquity. I remember no more, says the Lord. Hebrews ten seventeen. Will I accept that? And then will I live for Jesus? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John will say his commandments are not burdensome. If you love Jesus, you keep his word. His word is not burdensome to keep. But it's up to us. What choice will we make? His word also shows us that many times those who have loved God have gone astray. And God has always pleaded and will plead at the end of time if you've gone astray. He said, please come home. Please come home. Come back to that first love. Find that hope of eternity with him one day. Do his will. That's up to you. If your life is not where it needs to be, if you need to make a change within your life, why? Why would you keep Jesus waiting? He's at the door of your heart. Why do you keep him waiting? Make the change. Do his will. Find the peace and the hope of eternal life one day with him. If we could assist you, if we could help you in that decision, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.